I never knew a love like this before The kind of life that I cannot find on my own I've seen the world but I have never been so sure That I want your heart God, I just want to be where you are Where you are I just want to be where you are Soundtrack. Usually I have dance music, so I can, yeah, here we go. Miss my cue. <laughs> so, anyway, how you doing, everyone? Welcome to Beyond. Um, we're stoked that you could join us tonight. Uh, I'm Emma. This is Chris. Uh, he's a good guy. Well, you think so, hey? Yeah, he's my husband. Um, <laughs> well, we're so glad that you're here tonight. Um, in a minute, Emma's going to let you know a little bit about what you can expect tonight, but really, our, our role is to host you through the evening. And if you've never been here before, uh, we want to let you know that you are so welcome here. In fact, what we say is, uh, you're welcome to belong here well and truly before you believe uh, or behave uh, like a Christian or even if you never behave that way because our, uh, our vision here is to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. So we are so glad you're here. But what, what will tonight look like? Yeah, I guess our job is to give you a little bit of a rundown. So tonight we're going to have two more songs from the band after Chris and I skedaddle. So two more songs from the band then Riley's going to jump off for a one-off kind of message. So we'll hear from him. They've got one more song, and we should be wrapped up by 7.30, but you get to see us again, and we'll give you a little bit more info at that time. Yeah, and in case you're looking at your watch and you're like, uh, I know there's only uh, about an hour to go, but I did drink a lot of water, and you need to go to the bathroom during your time. This is the one time, if you head towards the back corner, this is the one time you should walk towards the light. Okay, walk towards the light in the back left corner, then pick your side. If you get a little uh, tired along the way, because it is a journey, there is uh, some bar tables with some sustenance and some sugar to get you through to the end. Yeah. Alan's Lolly Snakes. Oh, yeah. so They're thanks, the good ones thanks too. Thanks to Costco for sponsoring. Yeah. But we are going to throw back to the band and you'll see us a little bit later tonight.
trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger. song before the message is called Tremble, so hope you can sing along. darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus your silence fear Jesus, Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus oh, breathe 
call these bones to live and call these lungs to sing once again and I will praise Jesus Jesus you made the darkness tremble Shadows gone tonight. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Jesus, Jesus, oh, you make the darkness tremble. Silence me, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still. Call the sea to still, the raging me to still every wave. That's your name, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence me, Jesus. Good. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, g'day and a big welcome. Please feel free to grab a seat where you are. We're super excited to have you here on your Sunday night and just really excited that you, uh, yeah, have given your night up to join us. My name's Riley. I'm just one of the fellows that are here of a Sunday night. Um, and yeah, we really do want to just say thank you so much for joining us tonight. If you're just coming in for the first time, uh, a big welcome to you, especially uh, but hey, a little bit of a fun fact about uh, me, um, I actually really love my football, and by football, I mean the world sport, I mean soccer. Um, and for those of you that do know me, I'm a big fan of the Brisbane Roar too. Uh, and over the last 12 years of my life, uh, ever since I was a little primary school kid, uh, I have had season tickets, season member tickets to the Brisbane Roar. And I'm a massive Brisbane Roar fan. And um, these season tickets that I've had, uh, my dad has always bought alongside of me, and We've always had a ticket for myself, uh, for my dad, and then my dad also buys this third ticket. He buys this empty seat that sits next to me. Um, and every year, he books the same row, the same aisle, and the same seat. Like, my butt is literally imprinted on my seat in aisle 302, row 15, uh, if you ever go there. Uh, but at the same time, every year, every season, the first game, we see the same Suncorp supervisor, security lady who walks past, who just kind of gives us the silent head nod, and we often have chats about the weather too. I think her name's Karen or Donna or Sharon. I don't know. I don't know her name. She doesn't know our names, but it works. 
And um, I also have the same guy that like every game will always yell out, oh, oh, ref, he's been doing it all game, ref, he's been doing it all game. That guy's always behind us every season for the last 12 years of my life. So it's great. I have community outside of church. I have community at Suncorp Stadium. And um, I absolutely love the Brisbane Roar. Uh, but we have these tickets every year. My dad books them, one for him, one for me, and this third empty seat. And sometimes when I was little, my mum would tag along. Um, and mum, mum was great to have there, but um, it, it took a while for mum to kind of understand the offside rule. And because it took so long, often mum would get benched from coming to the games on the weekend. Uh, so sometimes my older sister would come, uh, but my older sister, Casey, you see, uh, she doesn't really have an inside voice. She only has an outside voice, which means whatever room or whatever open space she's in when she's outdoors, she has to fill that whole area with her voice. So she's trying to fill the whole of Suncorp Stadium with her voice. It gets really loud. So often my older sister, Casey, she'd get benched. Uh, but my little sister, my little sister, Rihanna, well, she, could, like, she can understand the offside rule. So often, more than not, Rihanna could come to the games. Rihanna was also really good at smuggling in fruit tingles into Suncorp Stadium. And I was really good at convincing her that the green ones were actually poisonous, so she had to give them to me. So Rihanna was great to have at these football games. But that's outside of where I'm trying to take you in this story. So in light of all these things, we would have this empty seat. And if my mum wouldn't take this empty seat because she couldn't make it, if my sister couldn't come because she was too loud, or if my other little sister, Rihanna, couldn't make it because she had been poisoned by green fruit tingles, um, I, would often, I would often go to my dad and say, what are we going to do? And dad would let me know, listen, we're not going to waste this ticket. We're not going to waste this empty seat. This is too good to give up. He just wouldn't have a bar of it because we didn't want to waste this seat. Uh, because who doesn't love watching grown men kick a round ball around a big patch of grass for 90 minutes? Uh, so I would run. When we found out that my family couldn't, not everyone in my family could make it, I would run to my lounge. I'd jump on it. I'd then go to that phone thing where it was like, these are the phones that used to be connected to the cords and they'd be connected to the wall, like the landline telephone, like the real old school stuff. I was around back then. And I'd jump on that telephone. And then I'd go to my spreadsheet of friends and I'd go through and I'd look at all my friends who I'd really like, like the ones that would give me like their pencils to borrow in primary school and their rubbers, like the ones that would share really well and the ones that knew the offside rule. And I'd go to the ones that loved football and I'd just do all these call outs and I just would send out all these invitations because I wanted my mates to come, my mates that loved the Brisbane Roar just as much as I did. And I'd get really excited and I don't know if you found yourself in that spot uh, before where someone pulls out all of a sudden from the vent that you're going to, and all of a sudden, you have an extra spot. Uh, you have an empty seat, an empty chair for them. Or you've scored a, a two-for-one deal, and now all of a sudden, there's a risk that you'll be going to something with an empty seat next to you. When you realize there's an opportunity for a plus-one invite, and all of a sudden, in your head, you're kind of like, oh, no, I actually know the exact person that I want to take. Because if you had a spare ticket to a football game, you're going to take someone that loves football. Uh, if you had a spare ticket to an orchestra ensemble gig, you're going to take someone that loves music. If you're going to a theatre production and you have an empty seat next to you, a spare ticket, you're going to take a fellow thespian. Any fellow thespians in the room? No? Yep, cool. Oh, awesome. Ripper. Crowd engagement, that's a new one. So, um, so thespian of you as well. But we, if we ever have a spare seat to us, we know who we're going to invite because we know the type of people we want alongside of us. When when North Leagues clubs send you a text message to let you know that it's two-for-one chicken palmy night on a Thursday night and free karaoke going on afterwards, you're going to invite someone that you know can smash down a chicken palmy, someone that you know is absolutely going to kill it on the microphone for a little bit of 500 miles, or Vanessa Cartland. Like, you know the people that you're going to invite. If you had a spare ticket to a concert, 
you had a spare ticket to Taylor Swift, you're going to make sure you're going to invite someone that loves Taylor Swift because those tickets cost like $300 and, and who doesn't want to see the voice of a generation? Like she's a superhero in a sparkly dress. Like you know who you're going to invite to a Taylor Swift concert because it's someone that is going to love Taylor Swift. But the big part of this story, what I'm trying to say is if you had a spare ticket, if you had an empty seat, if you had a spare seat next to you, you decide who you think would enjoy it. You decide who you think would benefit from it. You decide who you think would use it and get the most out of that opportunity. And if we were to bring it into the context of tonight, if you were to look around you, and this is not a bad thing, what I'm about to say, if you were to look around you, we have some empty seats. And that's not a bad thing. If anything, it just means there's going to be heaps more lollies for everyone at the bar table at the back at the end of the night, which is great. But whilst there's nothing wrong with this in our everyday life, this has the ability to flow over into our lives as followers of Jesus, where often we decide who we give our empty seats to. And as followers of Jesus, it makes sense to wrestle with this tension, because I wrestle with this tension of who do I actually invite to church? And not just church as a building, but church as a community. Church is what it was designed to be as a relationship. And the problem with this thinking of deciding who we think should come and who shouldn't, the problem with this thinking is that we begin to, to decide who to invite to church and who will like it or not. We decide who we give the seat to instead of realizing that God has a seat for every single person. And the problem, the problem with that is that church, church isn't just supposed to be a place for church people. It's not just meant to be a place for good people. Jesus isn't just for church people, and church isn't just for church people. Because in the reality of everything, as followers of Jesus, we should be extending an invitation to everyone. And you know this, because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're coming in tonight, you have no idea how God could use an invitation to change somebody's life. So tonight, tonight together, I, I want to look at a story with you of someone who looked at the empty seats uh, in the same way that you and I look at empty seats, or at least the way that we've kind of been talking around empty seats tonight. Uh, and this story of this guy, this guy is really just a common bloke, just your everyday average fella. And his story actually takes place over 2,000 years ago. Uh, and we read it in the account of Acts, uh, which is kind of found in the second part of the Bible, that bit called the New Testament. And Acts was written by this guy called Luke, who, who was a doctor, he was a physician, and he writes in incredible detail because he was an eyewitness to the story of this Jesus fella. This guy who actually predicted his own death and his own resurrection and managed to pull it off, and he got it right. And this story takes place in a time in history when a movement known as the Way, or more so a movement of followers of Jesus, began to spread with eyewitnesses of his life and eyewitnesses of his teachings starting to be documented. When this message of hope actually came into the world, so in light of this story, this story that Luke's, uh, Luke's, Luke tells us, let me take you back to a place called Damascus, where there was a follower of Jesus known as Ananias. And this is how Luke starts our story off. He starts the scene. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, first things first, Ananias, dope name. Really, really cool name. Could you imagine shutting around the street with the name Ananias? Like, you just would be feeling so good about yourself. You're an absolute gangster or a gladiator. So the guy's name's Ananias. And we got Ananias coming straight out of Damascus. And, and if you want to know what was special about Ananias, if you want to know what was so cool about Ananias, there was literally nothing. There was nothing cool about Ananias. In fact, 
Even Ananias' name for his time was a pretty common name. And Ananias, even as a follower of Jesus, he wasn't a top dog philosopher. He wasn't a top dog theologian or religious scholar. He was a pretty common bloke, everyday average fella. Uh, but as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, he did have this crazy circumstance happen for him. And his story is no common story. Now, I want to invite you into this story and what Luke writes. Because Ananias actually had an encounter with Jesus and it actually happened to a vision where Jesus came to him. And this is what Luke writes. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias responded, yes, Lord. And, and quietly, I love putting myself in Ananias' shoes for this bit. Because whenever you think of Jesus coming to someone in a vision, we often think of it uh, as this natural thing. Because it was written in the Bible. Like, everyone just sees Jesus in a vision or in a dream in some way. Like, this was Jesus' way of FaceTiming people. Like, this is just what he did. But picture yourself as Ananias. You probably didn't say this calmly. Yes, Lord. Jesus has rocked up in front of him in a vision and knows his name. He's thinking like, oh my, oh my, Jesus, it's Jesus. Oh, like it's right there. Like he's here. Like as a common bloke, Ananias is dusting himself off. He's trying to stay composed, trying to make sure he looks decent. And Jesus then chimes in and he gets right to the point. He gets straight to his agenda item by telling Ananias, listen, mate, I got a secret mission for you. And this is what we find. The Lord told him, Jesus said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he goes on, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And you've got to be thinking, Jesus is coming to you in a vision. He's popped up in front of you, and he's coming with this much detail over the mission that he has for you, this assigned agenda. It's so simple. There's so much clarity to it. Jesus says, listen, mate, you want to fang it down to the house of Judas, head down straight street from there. And, and then this fellow, Saul, he's from Tarsus. He's going to be there. When you get there, you'll see him easy because he'll be praying. And, and there's some background information for you there. And, and he has seen a man in a vision himself, just like, the one, just like the way I'm coming to you right now. And he has seen a man named Ananias. And mate, that's you. You need to place your hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias is still trying to compose himself. Like, remember, if you're in his shoes, Jesus has got a secret mission for you. He's told you all of it. It's, it's so clear. It's so simple. It's so easy. Like, Ananias, just go place your hands on this Saul fellow. But before I go on, before I go on, there's some things you need to know about Saul from Tarsus. Because you see, Saul, he wasn't your average day guy. And in fact, Saul wasn't even a follower of Jesus himself. And in fact, Saul was actually a religious terrorist. Saul's main agenda throughout his life, his mission was to actually stamp out this idea of Christianity and eradicate this movement known as the way. His mission was to absolutely eradicate this movement of followers of Jesus. And the reason Saul was in Damascus at this time is because he was heading around dragging followers of Jesus who were men and women out of their house and throwing them into prison. This was a pretty bad guy in the biggest scheme of things. And when followers of Jesus heard the name Saul, they were instilled with fear. And he was involved in executions. In fact, the first execution of a follower of Jesus, Saul stood on the sidelines and held the robes of the murderers. You see, while Saul was on his way to Damascus, and the reason that he had lost his sight is because he had an encounter with Jesus where he actually became blind after it. That's why Jesus told Ananias, you've got to go to this guy and restore his sight. Because Saul was blinded. And at this point in Saul's life, 
He hadn't eaten for three days. He hadn't had food for three days. He had no one with him. So we can see now that this is no ordinary mission for Ananias. This is no ordinary invitation that he's extending. And he's not going to any ordinary person. This is Saul of Tarsus. And we see that Jesus doesn't say, you know, go and invite your friend who heard about me and thinks I didn't exist. Jesus doesn't say, go and invite the person who thinks this whole following of Jesus thing, like, doesn't make sense. Jesus doesn't say, go and invite a random to know me. He doesn't say, just go whack your hands on Ian down the road. Like, Jesus says, go and lay your hands on the killer of Christians. Go and lay your hands on this religious terrorist, this person who is ravaging homes, who's imprisoning people just like you. Go whack your hands on him, Saul of Tarsus, and invite him to know me. But remember, in the bigger picture of things, Ananias, Ananias is a follower of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus, and Jesus, the main guy that he is following, has came to him, chosen him out of everyone, has come to him in a vision with a strict assignment. So composing himself again and, and puffing his chest up, Ananias turns to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, it all seems legit, I'm in. And Ananias like jumped in his car and he head off to Damascus. He's like, I know exactly where to go now. I'm jumping in my car with my Jesus fish sticker on the bumper. Like everything's sweet. This is not how he went about it. No, in fact, Ananias actually kicked up a massive stink and he asks up, he says, Master, Master, you can't be serious. You can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. Uh, and the terrible things that he's been doing, this terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. It's Ananias turns to the creator of the universe and says, Jesus, Jesus, do you know who you were talking about? This is Saul. He's literally the terminator of your followers. Like this guy is going to go Arnold Schwarzenegger on my Ananias. Like this is not a good thing. Like we are in trouble here. You can't be serious. What are you thinking? Why would I do this? This is not the guy that you want. And Ananias chucks up a massive fit. He builds up his walls. He's got his excuse and it seems more than twofold. Saul is a bad guy, Christian killing, religious terrorist, mercenary who's in the opposite of who you are looking for. There's got to be better people. He drags people out of their house. He, he puts them in prison to be killed. And if I go to him, Lord, I'll be next. It's just this simple. He, he could never be a follower of you. These are all the things going through Ananias' mind. But Jesus calms him down. Jesus calms him down and he pulls him in. And he's pretty straight with him. Because Jesus says to him, don't argue, go. Don't argue, go. Jesus pulls rank. And what he says next is even more incredible. It actually gives Ananias a reason to go. See, Jesus turns to Ananias and says, I have picked this man as my personal representative. Personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for. The hard suffering that goes with this job. Saul is my personal representative to spread my message of hope. And if you're a church person, if you're a church person and you know a little bit of your Bible from school or from your your background, then, then maybe for you, you're kind of like, come on, Ananias. Like, come on, you've you got to go. Stop it now. Because if you're, a church per- if you're a church person, you would know that Saul eventually, eventually makes a decision to follow Jesus and is given a new name, this name of Paul. And the apostle Paul, this guy that we hear about across church history and across the course of history, who we'll continue to talk about in a second, if you know this story, you're thinking, oh, Paul, no, 
no, Saul becomes a good egg in the end. It's, it's easy for us to have a different take in this situation when we kind of have perspective on where it's all heading, when we know the story. But for Ananias, this isn't going through his head because he can't see that far ahead. This would have been so offensive to him. This is, this is essentially him walking up to Saul and freaking out because this is a man that he knows is simply bad news, the opposite of what Jesus is looking for. And would Ananias have been nervous? Yes. Would he have been uneasy about this whole invitation? Probably, most definitely. And would it have been easy? No. But Ananias, probably in extreme discomfort and fear, he goes. And like we said, if you know who the Apostle Paul is, you would know the greatness of what Ananias actually did by extending an invitation to him. You see, when Ananias goes to Paul, when he goes to Saul, sorry, Saul of Tarsus, see, Jesus kicks off this new episode, this, this new episode of new eyes for the biblical guy, and this whole radical transformation happens in the life of Saul. All of a sudden, his sight is restored. All of a sudden, he knows that there's more to life, that there's this new perspective found with this Jesus fellow. He was given the new name of Paul, and Paul went on to write 13 letters that went to churches across the Mediterranean and beyond. And, and Paul went on to encourage followers of Jesus that were experiencing persecution, the same persecution that he laid out to followers of Jesus at one point in his life. And Paul became the driving vehicle behind the early church, recognizing that this Jesus fellow, this guy wasn't just meant to be for churchy people, wasn't just meant to be for religious people, but this guy was a person that we can step into a relationship with. This is a relationship for everyone. This was Paul's message. Paul went on to become the greatest impact in the Jesus movement post-Jesus. And you see, Ananias, Ananias would have had no idea of the impact of his invitation because it did more than just restore Paul's sight. But it became an invitation that radically changed the direction of the Jesus movement even up until today. And it all started with one decision, one conversation and one invitation. And the truth is, the truth is, as church people, as, as followers of Jesus, there's a little bit of Ananias in all of us. And to, to prove it to ourselves, if you were to think right now, just right now, three people, three people in your life that you desperately want to know Jesus because you know what that relationship was like for you. You know what that perspective change was like for you. If you were to think of three people that you know who simply need Jesus right now, maybe these are people that are hurting Maybe you've seen them hurting for a while. Maybe you know they've made some unwise choices. Maybe you know they simply have some unwise people in their life influencing their choices. Maybe these three people, maybe one or two of them or, or all of them, are actually living a really good life from what you're seeing, but you just know within them there's something more. It's just one little decision that they need to make that will change the bigger game for them, that will actually unlock their potential and allow them to stop living a life where they pretend to be themselves, but live a life where they intend to be themselves. If you're internally struggling, struggling to think about how that can be activated, I, I want to give you an application. I want to give you a next step for tonight. And I know for some of you, you're going to push back against it because I know I certainly do because it's something I have tension with and it's something Ananias had tension with. But we do this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe uh, that, that every Sunday, what's the point in coming to church? It's not going to change you. It's not going to impact you for Monday. Uh, so this week's Four Monday. This week's next step, application point, is this, I want to challenge you to actually invite someone to an empty seat. And if you can't think of anyone, if you can't think of anyone, or if you're struggling even to come up with those three people, that's all good. But if you're a follower of Jesus, 
I just want to encourage you and just challenge you, like, find friends, and I mean that in the nicest way possible too, but, but find people that you can be in a relationship with that can actually learn more about you, learn more about themselves, actually have an opportunity to learn more about God, and actually make a decision and start a conversation to actually invite someone to an empty seat. And I can understand your pushback. Maybe you're thinking, you said, like, in your head, you know, Riley, are, are you kidding me? Like, you don't get it. My mates, they just won't have a bar of this. Like, my friends, they'll just scoff and laugh if I try to invite them. Uh, see, church isn't their thing. They're not a fan. For all I know, they actually hate church. They don't even like Christians. Like, invite, like, you can't be serious. But unless they're worse than Saul of Tarsus, then what's our excuse? I'm not asking you to invite a religious terrorist to church. You've got people in your life that potentially you pray for every day. And you want them more than anything to know Jesus, but you've never extended an invitation to them. Maybe the reason is is because you've already predecided what their reaction would be and how they'd respond. You've already predecided that no matter how hard you try, they simply will never be a Jesus follower. I think one of the most poisonous lies we can tell ourselves in our life and for the lives of others is that things simply won't change. Because I bet Paul never thought that he'd be part of the very movement that he once went around killing. And I bet he never thought he'd see again. Because we know Ananias wrote him off. Ananias, to us, looks like an absolute fool for not trusting the process. But if we were to step away, if we were to step away, get up in the clouds and look at the bigger picture of this story, and look at the course of history, Ananias' one invitation, his one conversation to someone he only ever heard of but had never met. This one invitation changed the lives of not just Saul from Tarsus, not just Paul, but changed the lives of so, so, so many people across the Mediterranean and beyond. Paul's story was so unique. This was a unique invitation that took place on Straight Avenue that continues to catalyze a movement that shares a message of hope from the time of Jesus' death all the way up until the present. And you might be able to say, as a church person, that church is not for the people in your life, for the people that are close to you. But at the end of the day, this is a God who is for people. This is a God who loves people. And at the center of it all is a creator of the universe who says, listen, I am for you and I am for them. I love them. I love them more than you do. So anything you need from me, I will do it. Find rest in me. Because if God is for us, if God is for people, then we should be for people. One of the quickest ways we can immobilize ourselves from growing with others is by telling ourselves that we know more about others than God. Because when it comes to inviting people to church, we can say, nah, we can say, I don't think you understand. You can say it won't work. You can say it's not for them. We can respond how Ananias responded. We can say that's a bad idea. It's too foreign to them. It's not relevant. It could risk our relationship. I don't have all the answers for them. I simply can't answer all their questions. They're too busy. They wouldn't belong. They simply wouldn't fit. It's just not going to change. And I get that because they're all the reasonable reasons that I have in my own head. But know this, know this, your greatest tool, your greatest tool as a follower of Jesus and potentially your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is trusting your heavenly father in the person that he made you to be and accepting that he has placed others in your life to invite into a relationship with him. See, Saul drove fear into the hearts of followers of Jesus. His mission was to erase the whole movement out of existence, yet he found a new purpose. And one of the biggest turning points in the Christian faith movement, movement was Ananias' small decision to start a conversation, to actually invite. 
And I get it. I get your invitation is no normal invitation because no person is normal. Every single person is created in the image of God and God has put his imprint on every single person in history. He wants to use them to achieve more than they could possibly imagine, more than you can possibly imagine. There's a little bit of Ananias in all of us. I get it. But we simply can't underestimate the plan God has for others and how he could use you. Because if we do, if we do, we sell ourselves short and we sell others short every day. You have the power to change the trajectory of somebody else's life and the impact of the lives that they, of the people that they have around them. You can impact so, so, so many lives. 